Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. That it'll be still of a great benefit to us all. Amen. Acts chapter number 2. And I want to start with verse number 37. I really wanted to finish tonight up. However, last night, last week, I felt rushed. Not because of you, but just because I felt like I had so much material. I had to move real quick. So I'm not doing that to myself tonight. And so I won't finish tonight. And so Acts 2, I just want to read three verses and go from there. The Bible says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do then Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off even as many as the Lord our God shall call amen tonight on part seven here, the book of Acts, I would like to talk to us about begin the journey. Several weeks from now, I'm going to talk to you about continue the journey, but tonight I want to talk about begin the journey. Lord Jesus, I've come to you tonight. We're grateful, Lord, for the songs of Zion that have been sung, Father, in this place. God, I pray, O oh Lord, this evening that you would touch us afresh and anew. God, this is your holy word. God, your word, God, that is forever settled. I pray, O oh Lord, this evening, help us, God, to glean, Lord, from the scriptures. I pray, O oh Lord, tonight, God, enlighten us, God, bring us hope, Lord Jesus, from them, and we will not fail to thank you and give you praise. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Shake hands with someone, if you will, before you see it this evening. So happy to have Sister Charlene back from her trip. Amen. Back safe and sound tonight the house of the Lord grateful for that amen you may be seated begin the journey if you will recall from last week or the past several weeks I should say uh, Peter has been in the process of these past several weeks it took us several weeks to talk about it. it only took him just a moment of time you know but nevertheless if you remember he has preached a very masterful what I would call a very masterful sermon about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you will remember what he has done by virtue of this sermon is that he has brought a revelation to the people that the Messiah that was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets of Isaiah and even David standing in the office of a prophet was in fact the man Jesus that they were quite well acquainted with. That Peter said God had made him even Lord and Christ and based upon hearing this news that that Old Testament prophesied Messiah was Jesus that they had known but more particularly that they had crucified was a moment of reckoning for them he had to bring them to a place that they could identify that they were participants in crucifying the Lord And whenever they realized that they were participants in that and they faced the fact that they crucified their Messiah, so to speak, and that God raised him up, they have to start dealing with something else because 
Peter told them from Old Testament prophecy even of David that this man that would be raised up, the Bible says he would make his, his foes or his enemies his footstool. And so them understanding that they were contrary to their own Messiah, contrary to this man Jesus, they must feel like they have posed themselves to be an enemy or a foe of God. And if that's the case, then according to the prophecy, those foes and enemies were going to become his footstool. And so they have a quandary that is on their hands. They have done something, and in many instances, it's what can we do to undo what we have done. Uh, has anybody ever been there? And so the question that they asked them from the ministry of the word is, what shall we do? This is a common question not just for those of the first church of the first outpouring of the Spirit, but we find this time and time again. Whenever Saul, who was later converted to Paul in Acts chapter number 9, on his way to Damascus with letters in his hands for the persecuting of more people that were preaching and mentioning the name of Jesus, the light shined from heaven. Amen. He fell down, I always like to say, off his high horse, and he came to uh, a, a moment of recognition and he asked the, 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 the being, Who art thou, Lord? And whenever that Lord of heaven said, I am Jesus that you've been persecuting, Saul had a similar aha moment. Just like in Acts 2, they realized, We crucified our Lord. Saul, in that moment, realized, I've been persecuting the God of heaven by laying a hand on on Jesus Christ. And whenever he understood that, he asked a similar question. He asked in the Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? When we turn over to Acts chapter 16, a similar instance happens even there. Paul and Silas has been captives in jail and in prison. At midnight, they're singing praises and giving prayers unto the Lord. The prison doors are open on everybody. There seemed to be a quaking and a shaking the Philippian jailer uh, realizes this, opens his eyes from his slumber, and he asks them, Sirs, what must I do? Everybody say do. To be saved. And so in these just three examples and three instances tonight, starting with Acts number 2, when, when they realize that what they have done, crucifying their Messiah, uh, Paul, or Saul rather, persecuting the Lord, when they realized what they have done, they understood that then they were responsible for what they have done, and it prompts the question, what shall we do? Because now we know what we've done, we know what we've done, but now we want to know what we can do. We've done something, but can we do anything else? And we know what we've done has been contrary, but can we do something to make this better? Because when we understand this, they want to know, can we somehow reverse what we have already done? All right? And so, whenever we understand what Peter is going to respond to them with in the following verses, he is responding to them that basically the only other doing that they can do is to be obedient and subjective to what Jesus has already done. Does that make sense? Did you follow all my do, done, did, and there? Uh -huh. Peter is telling them what you're going to have to do is be obedient and in subjection to what Jesus has already done, his death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. Someone say, well, 
you know, doing the, anything like that, baptism, such things like that, that is, that is salvation by works and want to describe it as such as salvation by works. But I, I disagree. It's living, it's, it's, it's living by a living faith. It's living by a living faith. Amen. For he that, must, he that comes to God must believe that he is. It requires faith. And we all understand James was very adamant in telling us that faith without works is dead and so to to be baptized and to repent is a living rather than a dead faith it's a living faith in him that causes me to want to die with him be buried with him in baptism and to arise in newness of life by receiving the holy ghost with him amen so again though just for a little a little review if we remember verse 21 of Acts 2 if the if, if the calling on the name of the Lord verbiage in verse 21 was all there was to be to it Peter could have very easily told them when they said what shall we do say well all's well it's all done but that's not where it ended it was more than just calling on the name of the Lord he says that you must he told them to repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost is calling on the name of the Lord important absolutely but that's not the whole nutshell in itself amen there is more than just that Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 12 states these words for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. With that understanding tonight, it is no surprise that these men that heard the message of the Apostle Peter, there is no surprise that they were pricked in their heart. Because the Word of God, the writer of Hebrews compares it to sharper, than a two-edged sword with the ability to pierce, penetrate, if you will, all the way to the heart. That's the awesome thing about the Word. The Word will not only deal with surface issues, the Word will get all the way down to the very crux of the heart issues. Thank God for a Word like that. So it's no surprise that they were pricked in their heart because Peter has just left off preaching the Word of God. And look now, though. Yet later in verse 41 of Acts 2, the Bible says that they, they that gladly received the Word. So on one portion, the Word pricks their heart, but on another portion, some of these same people gladly receive. Gladly receive the Word. And the reason being is because the same word that times, at times, that operates almost through our perception as a wounder of us is also a healer for us. The same word that is described in Jeremiah that it is as a hammer can also, though, be described as a balm. It's all according to just where you are in life. But the fact of the matter is this. We can rest assured tonight that if it pierces your heart, if it pricks your soul, it does so because it has a purpose of good for you and it's not for your demise. 
Amen. It's not for your demise. And I know we get this two-edged, we get this two-edged sword, you know, symbol going in our mind. We got somebody with a sheath sword, and we're going to battle, and they're slicing and dicing. Man, that's the word of God. It's a slice and dice type thing. But whenever you look up at the Greek language concerning this, rather than a picture of slicing and a picture of, of dicing with the word of God, it is a sharp instrument of precision, almost like a scalpel in surgery that whenever it's wielded within the hands of the surgeon, a competent surgeon, it is very useful and very helpful to whom it is being used on. God's word is not just a mention, and people use it sometimes like this, a slice and dice thing, but in reality, it is a tool of precision. With great purpose it is used and it's placed in the exact position it needs to be placed in order to accomplish the job that it needs to accomplish. It is not just haphazardly anyway. If you allow the word of God to be that in your life, it can find exactly where where you're at and make an incision where it needs to be made in order to best benefit you the way that you need benefited. The word of God can. Amen. And here is a fact. And I think this is tremendous. Paul preached, evidently, or Peter rather preached a convicting message right what shall we do he preached a convicting message and 3,000 people came to know the Lord now why you mention that pastor I'll tell you why because we live in a day today that you can't you're not supposed to preach a convicting message because that will run people off quote unquote But according to my Bible, Peter preached a convicting message and 3,000 people come to know the Lord. What are you saying? I'm saying this at 1121 Cedar Street, you can still preach a convicting message and it be a redemptive message. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the response to the question seems very simple. I know we've hit all around this over the past several weeks, and I'm going to hit all around it again tonight and just dig a little deeper. The, 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 the response was simple. Repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost. That was the beginning of their journey. That was the starting place of their journey. And it's good to keep that in the forefront of our minds, whether we're 20 years old in this or whether we're just beginning or not even started this. Whenever you repent and are baptized, huh? Right? Because it's not just about seeing people saved. It's about making disciples of people. Amen. Absolutely. That's right. Amen. And so when we understand that, we go a little further and look at the emphasis that is placed here. There are no options for repentance. It's not like take it or leave it. There are no options for repentance. As a matter of fact, in various places of the scriptures, the mandate is quite very simple. It's, if I paraphrase, it's basically this, repent or perish. There is no options to repentance. Now, the definition of repentance over the years, repentance is a change of mind. Regret, they say, for sins resulting in a change of conduct. Regret for sins, thus resulting in a change of conduct. Now, that is important. Because repentance isn't just regret for sin. It's regret for sin that develops then into a change of conduct. 
if it was just, if repentance was just regret for sin, they probably already had it satisfied whenever they said, what must we do? Because they were already feeling regretful for having crucified their Messiah. Peter could have said, well, we already got repentance taken care of. Let's go to baptism. No, he told them to repent. Why? Because repentance is more than just feeling regretful for what you have done. It's about also developing then into a conduct of behavior that is different than what you used to have. Amen. And so they already experienced that when they posed the question, but he still admonishes, repent, repent. And see, repentance then is not then just a change of mind, but it's a change of direction in your life. The old military term of an about face, 180 degree turn. Amen. It's more than this, just a mental change of, uh, uh, of, of attitude. And it's more than just feeling, feeling a remorse. But ultimately, in our everyday lives, ultimately, a change of mind, and I say this cautiously, should impact our actions. Because our actions come from what our, we first thought. And so repentance is a change of mind that should impact our actions. Amen. The original meaning of the word repent is afterthought. Anybody ever had one of those? Afterthought. It's kind of the second thought. Afterthought. Repentance through the, the, the vision of the original meaning of afterthought is kind of like the second thought. The second thought is this. The second thought showed that the first thought was wrong. <laughs> afterthought. Afterthought, repentance was, they realized that the whole means of crucifying the sins. Repentance and baptism. Everybody say repentance and baptism are the means by which sins are remitted. Removed. Baptism is more than just a confession of faith. Baptism is more than just a confession of faith. More than just a public confession of faith. It's more than going down in the water and getting wet and that being some type of significance or, or, or sign to everybody that's in the audience or there that uh, you, you claim Christ as your personal Savior. Consider this. Whenever Philip was taken out to the desert and met with the Ethiopian eunuch, and he seen, well, here's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? They both went down into the water, and Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. If the purpose of baptism was for it to be a public confession, we have no record in Scripture. Anybody else was around at that moment in time. So what's the big deal of doing it then whenever no one else there was to witness it except Philip? For that matter, whenever Paul and Silas and the household of the Philippian jailer at midnight, everybody say midnight. Midnight. <laughs> midnight, folks. Midnight, whenever this happened, and they took him, and he, he wiped away and washed away their, 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 their stripes upon their back, and they baptized him in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, if baptism was for a public sign of confession, there was at best maybe his household there, but it's midnight, folks. Everybody else is not up at midnight. Amen. If the purpose of it was public confession, why didn't they wait till the day when more people could come and witness the... Because baptism is more than a public confession. Amen. It's more than a public confession. The Bible says repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody say four. Four. Now, here's what every philosopher under the book and under the sun will tell you. That the word for can mean in the Greek because of, with a view towards, an account of, 
on the basis of. Meaning, be baptized, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the remission of sins, with a view towards the remission sins, on account of remission sins, on the basis of remission of sins. What people like to try to do is tell you that your baptism doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. I'm serious. Listen to me very clearly here tonight. They try to tell you that your baptism, you get remission of sins first, and then you get baptized to show that your sins have been forgiven. That is the tail wagging the dog rather than the dog wagging the tail. It can mean, that word for can mean all those things, but they leave out other things it can mean. It can also mean to receive in the Greek or in order to obtain. Meaning repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ to receive the remission of sins or in order to obtain the remission of sins. Now, regardless, whatever Greek meaning you're going to take, you're going to have to verify it by context, and you're going to have to ver verify it by other places it's used in the Scripture. And whenever I did some verification today concerning the context here and other places that this word for is used, I understand that our baptism is not simply a public confession, but it is obedience to a plan that God ordained to put His name on us and to remit our sins. They said, what shall we do? And Peter says, this must be done. The Bible says, listen to me, this is a, just one case in point where the word for, same Greek word that was used in Acts 2.38 is also used in another place of Scripture, Acts 26.28, exact same Greek word for. The Bible says, the Scripture says, for this is my blood, Jesus is saying, of the New Testament, which is shed for many, here's the word that I'm talking about, for the remission of, of sins someone say amen. amen this scripture to us means that Christ shed his blood so that we might obtain remission of sins if we were to carry the incorrect thought process that some carry on Acts 2.38 as they would hear they would tell us that that which was shed was shed because we already had remission. My Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So Jesus didn't shed blood because he just wanted to show by virtue of him shedding blood, I've already forgave them. No, he shed blood because the only way we could be forgiven is if he did shed blood. Likewise, we don't come to a watery grave of baptism and get baptized to show that we have been forgiven, but we get baptized in that name from which the blood came to show that we now are, by virtue of baptism, forgiven. Don't get the tail wagging the dog. God remits sin when we're obedient by faith and we subject ourselves to the plan that God has established. The plan that God has established is baptism, immersion in water in His name. That's the plan. He could have chose anything. You hear me? He could have chose some other means. But that's the plan that God ordained. That's the plan that God put in place. And so when we are obedient, amen, to the letter of the plan, 
He's going to honor that and do the deed that accompanies the plan. Someone say amen. Because in reality, the water's immaterial. What are you saying? What I'm saying is, you can put somebody down in water all day long. Great day. That's wonderful. It has no power. The water does it within itself. That's the reason why we tell folks, you don't have to be buried in running water in a river or in a lake or in a pool or in a, in a pool in a hotel or even here. The water's really immaterial because there's no power in the water. But the power is in the name that's evoked over you when you go down in the water. And when you do all that, you're being obedient to the God-ordained plan that God ordained. And when you do that, that puts us in contact with His power. Amen. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 1.17 The Bible says Some people want to run with this and I'm just saying here it is. Paul says, For Christ sent me not to baptize. There you go. There you have it. It's not necessary. Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words lest the cross of Christ should be made of none again folks let's read you, you go back home and read all of 1st Corinthians all of 1st Corinthians chapter number 1 Paul's dealing with my mentality right now in the Corinthian church that they got these different little sects and these not S-E-X-E-S but S-E-C-T-S have all these different divisions among them because some people are saying I'm of Apollos I'm of Cephas I'm of Paul I'm of this one you know this is my leader bless God and whenever I got baptized into the church Paul baptized Whenever I got baptized in the church, Cephas baptized me. Whenever I got baptized in the church, Apollos baptized me. Someone say amen. amen. Paul is relaying here through the scriptures that the identity of the baptizer is not important. It don't, listen, it does nothing more or less for you if I baptize you. It does nothing more or less for you if Bishop baptize you or if it's Brother Mason or if it's Brother Cook, for that matter, if it's anybody else in this place. There is not like a more honorable baptism upon you because of who it was that baptized you. The identity of the baptized, that's the reason why Paul says, I, 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 Christ sent me not to baptize. In other words, Paul, he was admitting this, that I don't do a lot of my people that's with me or along with me, I don't do a lot of my own baptizing. So I do a lot of preach. Where about I do my own baptizing? Here is the importance, and I've said this a thousand times probably in my life, but 1 Corinthians 1.13, then prior to this, he asked the question to these people. I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of this one. He said, is Christ divided? Is the baptizer important? Is Christ divided? He said, was Paul, here is, this is so, this, I love these scriptures, I love the Bible. The Bible says, was Paul crucified for you that's the question he said or were you baptized in the name of Paul that was the question you know what the apostle here is pointing together he said was Paul was Paul baptized for you was was Paul crucified for you or was you baptized in the name of Paul no here is what the apostle is making the connection he says what is important is not who baptized you but it's important that you're baptized in the name of the one that was crucified for you 
Was Paul crucified? No. Was he baptized in his name? What are you underlying saying, the apostle? I'm saying you must be baptized in the one that was crucified for you. Apollos wasn't crucified for you. Paul wasn't crucified for you. Peter wasn't crucified for you. For that matter, I only know one man that ever walked in shoe leather that was ever crucified for anybody, and that was Jesus Christ. Who cares who baptizes you? But it is important the name that you're baptized in the name of the one that was crucified for you. They chose water. You know, the, the Jews had, the Judaism had a lot of washings through the Old Testament. A lot of different washings that are displayed in the Scripture. That incorporated water. Uh-huh. And so with much importance, Peter gives detailed instructions to separate this from every other washing of water. That it is baptism or baptizo to dip or to immerse. And it is in the name of of Jesus two valid important details concerning this washing different from any other washing that he that had been spoken about prior to this so with that being said maybe not a popular belief as society and the world spins on water baptism is a part of salvation and water baptism is instrumental in remission of sins the Bible says in John 3, 5, the story of Jesus with his discussion with Nicodemus, Jesus said and answered. Jesus answered, barely, barely, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, you go, you go argue with Jesus then that baptism in water is not a part of salvation. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it says, and such were some of you. Went through the list of all these different sins and horrible things. He says, and such were some of you. He says, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified. Everybody say, in the name. In the name of the Lord Jesus. That is a reference to water baptism. And he says, by the Spirit of our God, baptism of spirit. He said, you're sanctified, you're washed, and you're justified when you have water baptism and spirit baptism together. Paul retelling of his conversion Paul retold his conversion more than just one time but he retold it in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 and he's re retelling his conversion and he says here basically as Ananias is visiting him and the Bible says and now why tarriest thou arise speaking to this man who was once Saul but now Paul retelling his conversion arise and be baptized and wash away look and wash away thy sins in the same moment that you're being baptized your sins are being not that your sins have washed away. Now show everybody that's been done by your baptism. No. But be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. First Peter 3 and verse number 20. It's Bible study tonight. Hallelujah. The Bible says, which sometime were disobedient. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was preparing wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. Everybody say, saved by water. Listen to my statement and hear for my discussion, so to speak. Obedience to God in water baptism places a person 
in a place of safety in Christ. Obedience to God in water baptism places a person in safety in Christ. In Noah's day, follow me here. This is what the scripture is talking about in verse 20. In Noah's day, it is a part of our salvation. It puts us in Christ. Someone say amen. Now look at 1 Peter 3, 21 going on with this. So it's talking about the whole Noah thing, the water thing, the ark thing. And it gives us this parallel in the New Testament scripture. It says the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now some people get lost right after the conjunction, but. The answer of a good, not, not putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Other renditions or translations uses in the Greek say this, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience. Or the prayer for a clean conscience before God. Or the request unto God for a good conscience. In other words, baptism isn't a testimony about what has been done but it is an appeal a prayer if you will a request for it to be done you understand me again baptism isn't I have been forgiven but it's a request for that clean conscience for that clear mind it's a prayer for that to be done amen many times even in the scripture in the New Testament scripture baptism is mirrored by or parallel to circumcision Amen, Old Testament circumcision. Colossians 2 and verse number 11. The Bible states this. In whom, everybody say in whom, also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. I'm not talking like the physical, natural circumcision that they knew in the Old Testament, but this is one without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of of Christ we're talking about a circumcision made without hands it's put look what the circumcision does though it puts off the body of the sins of the flesh it puts off did you hear what I just said it puts off the the body the, the body of the sins of the flesh how verse 12 buried with him in baptism wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who have raised him from the dead. There it is again. He said, this is not the physical circumcision. This is a circumcision without hands. This is water baptism. And this, what this does is puts off the body of the sins of the flesh. What is that? That's what I believe Peter said it was in Acts 2.38. Repentance and baptism for the remission or the putting off, the removal of sins whenever you have a death to sin by your repentance when you have a death to sin by your repentance that gives way then to a burial for those past sins God by his divinity chose to remit sins at baptism Titus 3, 5. 
If you, if you always remember John 3 and 5 with Nicodemus and Jesus, then always remember just Titus, same chapter and verse, 3, 5. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. According to his mercy, he saved us. How? By the washing and regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Almost like twofold, the washing of regeneration. No doubt, baptism. But when the moment you talk about baptism, you've already implied talking about repentance because someone should not be baptized until they first repented. Even John the Baptist in his baptism and repentance recorded several times even throughout Matthew that he says, I'm not going to baptize you until you confess your sin or you sow some, some fruits, meat for repentance or that you repent of your sin. All of this took place. He said, because I'm not putting, I'm not putting a living man down into the water. I'm not putting a living body down into the grave. You're going to, have to repent and then you're going to be baptized. So if it's talking about baptism, there's the implication that repentance already takes place because you don't baptize without someone repenting. And then he says they're renewing then, if you will, of the Holy Ghost. So, not for the first church. I know that we know this. But verse 37 tells us, 38, 39 rather, tells us for the promises unto you and to your children. To you and to your children. This thing is generational. This thing can be generational. To you and your children and all, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call this promises unto you and to your children can be generational and I don't know if all the implications were understood of what was even said in that moment to all that are far off but as we spoke from the very beginning of the introduction of Acts where this first started out as a Jewish salvation so to speak and would later about halfway and further expand to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles whenever they Peter spoke those words to those that are far off that was encompassing those other people Samaritans have to have Gentile and Gentiles in that promise because the Bible says to us in Ephesians 2.13 whenever the apostle was speaking to the Gentiles who were once Gentiles but were now saved and renewed and blood bought and had repented of their sins he says in verse 13 but now in Christ Jesus ye he was speaking to Gentiles ye Gentiles who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He said in verse 17, he said, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off. He's talking to the Gentiles and to them which were nigh, the Jews. The Jews were the ones that were considered nigh. The Gentiles were considered the ones that are fall off. And Peter, if he understood the implications of everything he was saying on that day, I don't know. But he said, by authority of the Holy Ghost, this promises to you and your children and to those that are Gentiles and even those that are right here today Jews it's for every last single one of you and to as many as the Lord our God shall call well it's not for me brother McGee because I never had a call from God he called you in Revelation 22 as he's closing this book and he said whosoever will let him come and take the water of life freely 
He might not show up in your bedroom and say come, but he has given the call through this book called the Bible that has been written to all humanity that whosoever, well, whosoever. I don't know anybody whose name is whosoever. That means every single one of you, male, female, old, young, amen, crippled, mentally challenged. It doesn't matter. The whosoever is you. Someone say it's me. The promise is for me. You'll stand with me here this evening. See, I didn't feel rushed tonight. I feel good about that. But again, this is where it begins. If you've never repented of your sins, it's important that you do that. For that matter, it's imperative that you do that. It's imperative. If you desire a relationship with God, if you desire to enter into the kingdom of heaven, see the kingdom of heaven, that's vitally important that you do that. If you've repented of your sins, you're a great candidate to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Repentance with your baptism give you remission of sins. We're not put, putting you up here in this water for some confession of faith. No. We're putting you to this water in the name of Jesus, the power and the authority of that name. For there to be something to occur because you're obedient to a plan that God has ordained. Water baptism. And if that happens, the Bible says you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And if you're here and you've done all that, it's not over. It's just starting. It's just starting. In the book of Acts, we see a lot of people's journeys get started over and over again we see this one baptized that one filled with the Holy Ghost this taking place we see a lot of people's journeys get started but then whenever you start reading all the epistles which are numerous you're reading about people continuing on their journey it's important to get the journey started but he had to write an awful lot of epistles to help people to continue on their journey what is he talking about? He's talking about all kinds of things when they're talking about continuing on the journey. But you can't continue if you don't begin. It's like trying to get the cart before the horse. You can't continue if you don't begin. And so our challenge here this evening, if you've not began, is to begin. And it's not going to start for you any differently than what it started for them. It's not like we got a change of dynamics here or we got a change of policy concerning being a part of the church it's the same the same as it was then as it is now so it was then still what must I do if that's what you're preaching in your heart you know what brother McGee I realize that I am a sinner I realize I'm far from God I realize I've done some things that's not been very commendable in the eyes of God listen if you feel that you had that regret you know what you need repentance just as Peter's told him repent Take that regret and accompany it with a change of mind that will influence your actions. Do an about face. Turn from the world and turn toward God. Repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. We have water. There's nothing hindering by you. There's water here to baptize you in Jesus' name. If we bow our heads across this place tonight. Begin the journey. Begin the journey. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again clarification you must be born of water and of spirit in order to enter into the kingdom of God ladies and gentlemen that is that is the story in that is the story 
now. It differs not. It changes not. If you don't know the Lord today as intimately as you'd like to know Him. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.